Hello, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast on La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa. A quick shout out to our local business sponsors, the uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at, uh, at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Also, they got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. That's Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines between Locust and Grand, fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at great prices, uh, very friendly service at Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. And finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant at 7500 University Ave in Clive. Authentic Indian food from both the northern and southern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, welcome to the program, folks. Later in the show, we're going to talk about politics, Iowa caucuses, all that sort of stuff. And we'll also be, uh, be visited by Maria Philippone to discuss the Israeli-Palestinian developments. But first, I want to welcome Linda Mason Hunter, Hunter to the program as we uh, dig into an issue we have yet to discuss here on the Fallon Forum, and that is the proposal for 5G technology. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you. So this is something that I've heard a, a bit about, um, and I hear, about, I hear some genuine concerns about it. I hear folks who say that, well, 5G, uh, opposition to 5G technology is just another crazy, wild-eyed conspiracy theory. But you've, um, you've been studying this. Yes, I have. And, uh, in, in fact, Ray Kabasu, one of the uh, columnists that we greatly respect here on this program, wrote about it recently and um, raised some concerns that uh, I was not aware of. First of all, I was not aware that the 5G cellular technology that they are proposing, well, that's already being implemented in some cities, that, that, that's not the same as the 5G on my home internet service. No. Apparently, one, the, that G stands for gigahertz. Right. And the G in the new technology that is raising concerns stands for generation. Right. It's the new, new generation of wireless cellular technology. We now have 4G. Probably most of us have either 3G or 4G. Okay. And so, and th in that case, that G stands for generation. Right. So what's so different about 5G compared to 4? 5G is uh, 20 to 100 times faster. So you'll be able to download a movie in seconds. So that sounds just great for those of us who like speed. Right, for those of us who like <laughs> speed. You really don't need it for your phone. That's interesting. Right. Um, actually, what... What the industry wants is it's the precursor to the Internet of Things, which means driverless cars and all of that that goes with it. How is it a precursor to a driverless car? Because you will have the infrastructure in place to be, order, to be able to do that. Okay, so, it's, so dr driverless cars depend on the 5G Network. They, they, they need that they advanced high-speed technology. the high-speed te okay. technology, yes. Okay. So there's probably a lot of uh, business interests that are pretty excited about this. Oh, it's a multi-trillion dollar profit center. Right, but there are and some... It's, and it's worldwide. But there are health uh, concerns being raised by not just, uh, not just people on the fringe, but some real 
uh, real respected, you know, hardcore scientists. Yeah. Yes. So there, there are concerns being raised. Yes. And what are those? Uh, well, they're basically three: um, genuine health concerns, and that's what I'm most knowledgeable knowledgeable about. S surveillance. Uh, they'll be able with 5G. They'll be able to capture your facial characteristics and Who's your voice that whoever's listening oh really yeah yeah and if you have well that's complicated <laughs> but let me stick to the okay first okay question right um and it also 5g interviews uh interferes with weather satellites so they won't mm. be able to predict the weather NOAA not that they're doing a great job already well the National <laughs> Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is very vocal about its really opposition to 5G okay. yes okay so and then there's also a lot of health concerns about yes. cancer and other other uh, cancer and a whole raft right. of uh, disease yeah, and some of that has been uh, demonstrated by laboratory tests on rats. Right. And uh, and just in um, uh, humans, um, right. if you when when you get your phone, whether it's a little flip phone like I have or a smartphone, like I have, and it comes with um, information. Do have you read that information that comes with your phone? No, it's in nine print font, and I right. can only do ten print and up. Okay. Ten point and up. Okay. If you read it or try to read it try. all the way through, yeah. I mean, this has been the case every time I have read one of those, and it's been maybe four times I've done that. At the very end, it says, this has not been tested for safety. So, you know, use use essentially at your own risk. So flip phones don't indicate no. that problem. It's yes. Just a, yes, they do. They do. Yes. So flip phones and smartphones both. Have the 3G same. and 4G have problems as well as 5G. What 5G does is it takes the radio wave energy to a whole other level. It's it's 100 times faster. So you're getting, I mean, we have we've skipped a whole lot of generations in between 4G and 5G, essentially. Okay, in order to again to in your mind speed. prepare us for the <clears throat> for the inevitable transition to. The Internet of Things. Yeah, driver, driverless technology. For right. And, but, you know, they're selling it to consumers because consumers ostensibly want speed. Yeah. All right. So, but consumers are pushing back. There are, what, 80 lawsuits, did I read? Yeah. Yeah. There are lots of, lo of lawsuits. This is, this is world, worldwide. And um, Europe, of course, is ahead of us in its opposition to 5G. Um, Singapore has um, halted or forbade the use of 5G for consumer use. The mayor of Brussels um, said he doesn't want 5G in Brussels because he won't allow his citizens to be guinea pigs. Um, right. The Netherlands, there's, op there's opposition. There's a barrister in Australia who has had a lot of success in halting 5G in Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, um, w uh, by using the the law essentially. So the the uh, the uh, the consumer information relevant to 3G and 4G technology says to it says they're in again fine print 
that those products have not been tested for safety. Right. Um, but it sounds like there have been lots of tests relevant to 5G technology, and they're fairly conclusive, except if you ask the industry. Right. Right. So the industry will not test. They well, had can they, can they not be required to test? They aren't required to test. Why, that, why, and no, that's why, we're why, getting into a whole other thing there. Is, well, that would that would be the authority of Congress to require them to test, correct? I suppose. Um, radio waves, the radio bandwidth is huge, mm -hmm. and the FCC is in charge of the radio bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to a 1996 law, the FCC laws and regulations supersede any municipality or state law. Yeah, the 1996 Telecommunications Act, by the way, for everybody's uh, information, was one of the worst things that ever happened to America. Right, right, <laughs> and, and right. And not just for that reason. Under, but uh, uh, under Bill Clinton. Under Bill Clinton with the with the help of his good friend Newt Gingrich, yeah. Right, um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was legislation designed to solidify control of the public airwaves in the hands of a very few right. big private entities. Right. And this is, an, this is an aspect that I don't think anybody at that time probably foresaw. Maybe somebody did foresee it, but... And now, under, under President Trump, I hate saying those two words <laughs> together, um, the, the people who are on the FCC are part of the industry, the tech the wireless tech industry. You mean there's a revolving door between industry and government? Shocking, isn't it? Gosh, who knew? <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, so that is what that is where the conflict is. Has, has anybody in Congress proposed, uh, uh, you know, requiring studies of this technology before it becomes uh, publicly, you know, widespread? I don't know if that's been the case, but uh, Senator um, Blumenthal in, I think it was February, in a Senate hearing uh, questioned the CEOs of various uh, tech companies and, and got them to admit that they did not have any safety stu studies and they didn't plan right. to have any. But again, there have been plenty of private safety studies and they're all indicating that there Severe are- Severe harm, yes. Yeah, big, over, great, huge over, over okay. time. So we have, uh, as of now, what, 11 U.S. cities that have uh, allowed? I think so. And, and Minneapolis is one. Um, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., I think. Well, they're not a real city. I'm kidding. <laughs> then, <laughs> that, that was an aside to the hope that someday D.C. Yeah. <laughs> will be a state. Anyway, they are a city. Hopefully they'll also be a state. But the, um, the, uh, the, the, the 11 cities that have uh, allowed this... Um, there has been opposition, public opposition. I and right, suppose. And right now here in Des Moines, yeah, you have approached the city manager about this, and he right. said, our hands are tied. Right. The FCC um, will not uh, prevent us. We, we, can, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot um, go back. What do I want to say? Uh, they cannot, their hands are tied because the, my rules, tongue is tied. the rules and, and regulations <laughs> are. Right. Thank um, you the FCCs, um, but, but actually that, yeah. that isn't, that isn't true. And their hands are not tied. They're, they're tying, they're, they're, they're connecting their, uh, their concern back to the, the 1996 right. Telecommunications Act. Right. And again, that was way before the time of this technology. Right. And so that, again, I think there's some doubt about whether or not those regs actually apply. There is. Yeah. Um, 
So has anybody approached the Des Moines City Manager about whether or not, uh, you know, I mean, I, there have been other lawsuits. What, 80 lawsuits nationwide? I think so. So, yeah, there's, there's, um, and none uh, well, of them I, I wrote to him and uh, to uh, the mayor and city council, and um, I haven't heard back from the mayor and city council, but the city manager did write me back and say that his hands are tied. And I, you know, what, what really needs to happen is citizens need to get to get together. It's got to be more than just me and you. Um, it has to be 25, 50 or more people need yeah. to go and say, look, uh, we don't want this. And I do believe that our elected representatives are legally uh, liable if something happens mm. to the citizens. But again, I, I'm, not, I'm not inclined to conspiracy theories or to jump to conclusions quickly, but it looks like there's been a lot of scientific there, research and study it's fairly conclusive. Yes. Yeah. Um, in February, 240 scientists, um, I, I don't remember where they, uh, they, I think it was they went to the UN and asked them to please um, halt the rollout of 5G until more studies are done. They aren't asking them to just quit it all together. They're just right. saying, what is the rush? There is no rush. Let's just halt and have more studies be done. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And uh, my guess is Congress is unwilling to do that because, uh, surprise, surprise, of the influence of money. Right. Because these telecommunications giants are very well healed, and we've already seen how powerful they have been at lobbying against net neutrality. We saw how powerful they've been at lobbying for FISA, for the uh, surveillance, <coughs> surveillance measures that have passed Congress. And so, um, yeah, this, is, this, this kind of dovetails with that whole movement, um, I think. And, uh, and Verizon is scheduled to roll out 5G in Des Moines before the end of the year. And we're, so at, we're at the first. If of people October, are concerned about this, they need to get on it. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Now, who else besides yourself is speaking out about this? In, well, in, my, in husband, <laughs> my husband. My husband right, wrote a wrote a letter again to the city manager and city council and the mayor, outlining what the legal parameters are. Um, and then Rekha Basu wrote the column, bless her, uh, in the Saturday paper. So it, people need to know what's going on. Just like you said, you, you had 5G in your head, but you didn't know yeah. anything about it. Yeah. Reka said the same thing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how well, I was. Very it's a very clever move on the part of the industry to call something new and controversial the same thing that something familiar and less controversial is called. Right. Uh, it's, it's a very clever move. Well, they are clever. Right. Well, they are clever. If if uh, if your listeners want more information, I have written a lot about it on my website. It's lindamasonhunter.com. It's on the on the air page, and there's a navigation bar on the left hand side of the page, and at the very top it says 5G technology. You click on that, and there's an article I wrote, the letter my husband wrote, 
and Reka's column, uh, as well as all of my research. Okay, and you can include you can include a link to this program too, if you like. Okay, good. Yeah, people can hear that. So. Good. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That and, was quick. Uh, yeah, keep up the keep up the good work, and okay. we'll um, we'll I'm sure we'll be uh, talking again about this because it sounds like it's moving quickly. And again, I'm interested in hearing how some of these other 80 lawsuits pan out because if. Uh, if the courts start rolling one way or the, or the other, that might give some encouragement to cities and communities that perhaps want to put the brakes on this. If some of those right. some of those lawsuits we rule need, in our we favor, we need to join those those lawsuits. Yeah, if they if they rule in your favor, then yeah, yeah that's um that's uh, an yeah. indication. So. Right. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining okay. us. Thank you, folks. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll be talking with uh, Maria Filippone about uh, the. Israeli election about the uh, annexation of the West Bank or big chunks of the West Bank by Israel and a bunch of relevant uh, conversations to the disturbing situation in Gaza and the West Bank. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. GatewayMarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- 246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... 
Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Ronnie Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper, Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant 515-255-1698. That's 515-255-1698. my guest for this segment of our conversation. So, you know, I've, I've been spending so much time focused on the presidential candidates and where they stand on climate that I haven't tracked, uh, you know, all the other issues. And of course, I hear a lot about them. But one thing you never really hear them talk about is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And uh, Maria is a physician and a frequent uh, traveler to Gaza. As, as you see, you go there as often as Israel will let you. And uh, they do have some restrictions on that, apparently. Yes, it's yeah. very difficult to enter Gaza for anybody, and it's even more difficult for Palestinians to enter and or leave Gaza. So. And what what is your what is your connection to Gaza to Palestine? Um, I've just always cared about the lots of issues. I've always been active in many issues: climate justice, um, women's rights, etc. And this just kind of organically mm. happened, especially after the 2014 war on Gaza. So I go with um, an organization out of Washington State, Washington Physicians for Social Responsibility. So. Mm. And you wrote uh, a piece for the Des Moines Register uh, just this past week, and maybe it was published elsewhere as well, that uh, chronicled some of the disturbing experiences you had when you were in Gaza most recently. And yeah, it's hard to read how disturbing those experiences were. Yes. I mean, holding a child that was... On the dying. verge of dying, that mm-hmm. was that was dying, uh, and the description of um, of two young men who uh, were walking through the cage that you have to walk through. They to were get just into at Gaza. the border. They weren't even at the cage. Yeah, and they were killed by Israeli soldiers as we were walking through the cage to enter. Now some the would first say, well, way. they threw some stones. Right? They were acres away from soldiers. It was sort of suicide by proxy. They went to throw stones because they had no hope, and they threw stones knowing they would be killed because... It's hopeless. It, it's yeah. hopeless. But yeah. I, I don't want to say it's hopeless. Gazans still have hope. Um, I, I wrote the article that was published in the Register. I originally wrote it as a letter to all the Democratic presidential candidates mm. so they could understand the Palestinian narrative of this issue. Because that has been lost in our society. And again, share in your own words, share some of those uh, reflections that you want it, candidates a, to hear. I want them to hear that for Palestinians, it's not about 
religion. It's about occupation. One of my colleagues once was, every time I've gone with this organization, at least one of our colleagues has been Jewish. And one of them, she wore her Star of David earrings almost every day. And she was welcomed as warmly as all the rest of us were. Welcomed by? By the Palestinians, Palestinians. in Gaza, yes. How, how did the Jewish government respond to her? They told her, you're on your own. You're going to be killed there, basically. I, I don't remember exactly what was said. But it wasn't favorable. But she was not allowed in last year on our, our last trip in by Israel. They would not give her access, grant her entry. So, um, but no, she, you know, it's... It's um, it, it's simply not true that it's about religion. It's about occupation. Um, it's about no freedom of movement. It's about having missiles dropped on you at all times, often. Uh, the last time I was there, um, I was able to witness the Great March of Return, mm -hmm. Gazan stage every Friday, um, protesting their conditions, um, saying they have a right to return to their homes, and it was their homes outside of the outside of the Gaza, Gaza Strip, and right. also just protesting the occupation mm -hmm. and the brutal conditions under which they are forced to live. Um, and it was so amazing. It was led by these women in in their um, their traditional Palestinian dresses, um, and the women had the megaphones, and it was just this sea of women. Um, hundreds if not thousands and there were all these people playing instruments um, playing traditional Palestinian music and all these different people dancing dabki the traditional Palestinian dance and you know they risk uh, being killed and maimed just to exercise their right to resist and they do that every occupation. Friday every Friday mm. it started March 29th um, 2018 I believe mm -hmm. and have those uh celebrations, whatever you want to call them, marches, protests. Mm -hmm. Protests. Yeah. Have they led to violent, ending up a violent um, response on the part of the Israeli oh, defense Oh, force? certainly. Okay, the overwhelming, um, um, on the Gaza side, the overwhelming um, actions during these protests are peaceful. Um, there have been some instances of um, Gazans sending kites over um, the fence and kites that have, like, a Molotov cocktail, like a homemade mm -hmm. type of um, incendiary device. And mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not condoning that at all in any way. Um, but what do you think is going to happen when you give people no hope, mm -hmm. no freedom of movement, no clean yeah. water, mm -hmm. not enough food, no no economy? There's this whole generation of, of youth who have the, um, the unemployment rate among the youth, people under 40, is uh, 70 percent, mm. seven zero. Mm. Wow. So, 70 percent unemployment. Seven wow. unemployment rate. So yes. have you have you 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 mentioned that you wrote this piece as an, as a uh, a letter to share with the presidential candidates. Yes, and I've have e you, have I've you done emailed that? it to um, all the candidates I could I could find. How long I, ago? Uh, I've done this over the summer, and then I've also de okay. hand delivered it to um, the offices I could find here in Des Moines and given it to. Mm. You know, it's usually young people staffing the offices. Did you and get any response? I've had no response. I don't expect a response. I would be pleasantly surprised. But Have you followed it up? So with, uh, I've tried. Really? I've tried to follow up, um, but it's difficult. Mm. This is a difficult thing because people, you know, we've only heard one narrative for so many decades here. and Now, I mean, we're hearing more and more conversation about this, uh, mm -hmm. and 
what, what we're seeing is the opinions of Democrats in particular, uh, especially those who are inclined mm -hmm. to be active in, in primaries and caucuses, mm -hmm. uh, they, the opinion seems to be shifting. Um, they're, they're feeling more informed, and mm -hmm. as they become more informed, they're becoming more empathetic with the Palestinian plight. Mm -hmm. So you've got an issue where Democratic voters are moving toward empathy with Palestine and, and um, criticism of the state of Israel's response. Uh, and yet candidates who seem to be very sheepish about taking a stand. And I, I might attribute that to the, I mean, this, I, I, know, I know personally there's a really, really powerful uh, pro-Zion lobby. Mm -hmm. I, I experienced that when I ran for Congress. I don't I'm know sure. whether I told you this story, but uh, I, I, I've never taken, when it, during 14 years as a lawmaker and in two campaigns, for one for governor, one for Congress, I refused to take any money from political action committees. That's wonderful. And so I, I never really bothered to. I mean, I would, I would meet with ones that I had a lot of personal empathy with, labor unions, environmental groups, mm -hmm. but I still didn't take donations from them. But um, APAC, mm -hmm. uh, Israeli, American, American Israeli, Israeli Political, political action, action Committee, right? Uh, they were insistent that I meet with them. Um, they kept calling and calling and calling, and my, my scheduler, Jamie Woodson, just said, well, he's not meeting with he's not really meeting with lobbyists, and you know, I mean, if you're a constituent, mm -hmm. maybe, but uh, if you're from, they wanted to come in from Chicago, mm -hmm. and they finally called and said, uh, we are on the way there. We're we're meet we're we're coming to Iowa to meet with you know, you know, the candidate Fallon. When can we meet with him and where? And she had to politely tell them, no, he's not going to meet with you. Uh, mm -hmm. But that that's how persistent they were. They yes. were they were far more persistent than any other pack or lobbyist. Mm -hmm. Uh, they actually were on the way here. Wow! <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I I understand that they are that their persistence is part of it. I also understand right. that they, they 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 have access to a lot of money, mm -hmm. and uh, they have a narrative that has been very uh, persuasive mm -hmm. over the years. And again, uh, when that narrative is, is is connected to the horrible Holocaust that happened during World War II, it's hard not to be empathetic. Of course, yeah. no. Um, if you actually read the history of Zionism and the founding of the State of Israel, you will see that um, it started in the late 1800s by Theodore Herzl, um, who was a, a Jew from Vienna, I believe, who wrote um, correctly. He was uh, concerned about rising anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. That was back and in the 1800s. This was in the late 1800s, yeah. and saying how um, Jews needed their own homeland for protection, he didn't have a specific place in mind. In fact, they looked at areas in South America. Um, but then the, at the turn of the century, even before World War II, there was a great move to make Palestine um, the Jewish homeland. And it, it's important to note that um, at that, that time Jews, there was a country Palestine. called Palestine. Yes, yeah. yes, and uh, Christians, Muslims, and Jews all lived together in Palestine um, and, and lived. Um, and roughly, what were the boundaries of that country back in the early 1900s? It's what is considered Israel today. Correct. So, okay. yeah. Um, but no, so basically, the, the narrative has been um, hijacked all this time mm. um, by special interest groups. And it's not just Jewish people, there's a, a difference between Zionism and Judaism. In fact, um, Zionism does not. Um, so a lot of um, rabbis in the U.S. and abroad are strong believers in 
against Zionism or strong mm -hmm. anti-Zionist and against what's happening to the Palestinians and what has happened to the Palestinians. So there's a, a huge evangelical Christian movement in the U.S. that's um, some would argue even more powerful than APAC yes. that really insist on um, making Israel Israel and cleansing it of all the Arabs and the Muslims. Right, because so, of uh, beliefs that that is the gateway to heaven and beyond the rapture. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which is, so, uh, which is so a that's, demented, you demented know, mentality. It is, I mean, that's not what I want to focus on. I want right. to focus on, you know, the actual um, realities of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. And I'm I'm not an expert, but I do um, I do feel like I have been privileged because I've been allowed in. Two, two years ago, I took my 10-year-old daughter mm. to Gaza because um, she was invited by the UN to be a student ambassador for the Summer Fun Weeks camp they do. And I took my daughter, 10-year-old daughter, and it was, um, you know, there were very tense moments. As in, in it, the tense moments we experienced were not due to Palestinians. They were due to um, the Israeli soldiers. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I feel like I've been privileged with getting to know Gaza and um, Palestinians, and so I feel like it's my duty, my obligation to speak up and, and have policy changes happen here. So how does the recent uh, Israeli election affect? It's unsettled still. Oh, oh, it, it really doesn't matter to Palestinians. I mean, they still live under um, horrific circumstances. Right. They're still not equal. They're still not... Um, and what if, what if Netanyahu no longer has uh, a majority to... There is a concern amongst um, Palestinians and Palestinians living in exile in other areas in the world that if Gantz does get um, win the election, which it appears he may, he will, just to show his strength that he's not soft, he will um, start another war on Gaza and decimate it even further. So... Because what, he, what is he's that more founded on uh, because he's been running on the platform of he wants to bring back the dead two-state solution. It's it's impossible. He wants to bring back the two-state solution. He wants to bring back right, and it's never it it has never been um, viable just with right. the but with it's the been reality. As but being it's been, yeah, everybody proposal. has agreed right. since Trump has entered office and with Netanyahu that the two-state solution is dead. And Put you it still to rest have, You still have presidential candidates on the Democratic side who present the two-state solution as <laughs> their response me. to how to address the Israeli Right, and they're conflict. really, they're just mistaken. <clears throat> they're just, they don't understand the actual reality. They don't, mm. I mean, once um, you sit down <clears throat> and you show them an actual map of, <clears throat> of, the, of the territory, of the whole entire land, you see that is completely um, impossible to have a two-state solution. So, so I, there was it would a, be separate but unequal. So it's an apartheid state right now. So James Zogby writes about mm -hmm. the um, the uh, New York Times um, project where they interviewed at that at that time there were 21 Democrats running for president, and uh, he writes a uh, quote. It was disturbing how few of the candidates appear to have given the matter of Israeli of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict any serious thought. Then he writes, with the notable exceptions of uh, Sanders, Buttigieg, Swalwell, and Moulton, most of the elected officials stumbled about like frightened high schoolers being asked a test question for which they hadn't prepared. Of course, that's <laughs> not surprising. Um, I think that the Democratic Party's uh, big failure is, is because they are, they're only focused on beating Trump. 
They're not focused on just doing what is just. They're but, not, but, and, and that's in many different areas. But you, you they're can, not progressive enough, and they're not. There's this whole base of people especially young people who would gladly like jump on board and totally tip the scales and change the elections but the democratic party tries to be this moderate walk the you know walk well, the middle the democratic party is is a house divided in a big way you've mm -hmm. got you've got the establishment element that that yeah that, that that description fits them perfectly then you've got a majority i think of the voters of the of the base of the party that really want to see some solid uh, you know uh, some solid policy objectives for some of the most challenging right. like uh, health care for all and climate you know climate um, justice prison and, reform yes um, exactly immigration and I, I think when it comes to uh, the palestinian israeli conflict most democratic voters want to see more than Pablum. They they want to. They don't want to see candidates who are evasive, who are just falling back right. on the on the again disproven two state yeah. solution proposal, yeah. and they don't want to see candidates who are you know towing the Zionist line for sure. So I think that's you know. So you've got. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like candidates when in this uh, near in this particular New York Times study, mm -hmm. we're we're pretty solid on terms of offering proposals, but when it comes to pa Israel Palestine, it doesn't happen. Except well the. They mention Zogli favorably mentions uh, Sanders and Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. He um, is very critical of um, of uh, Castro's response and Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. He says most disappointing was the non-response of Warren, who said that she would urge the Israelis and Palestinians to quote come to the table and negotiate, and then quote stay out of the way to let them negotiate. As um, if that had never been tried before. <laughs> well, so. first of all, let's just be real. The U.S. has never been an honest broker as far as dealing with um, working for justice and peace in the Israeli-Palestinian issue. The U.S. has never been an honest broker. We've always had um, an ulterior objective. And you can never say we're an honest broker when we give one side $10 million a day and the other side nothing. Hmm. Um, we, have, we provide no humanitarian aid to Palestine. Indirectly. Through the UN, which uh, Donald Trump has, President Trump has uh, cut almost all of it entirely. Um, but no, we um, we are not honest brokers, and we I I understand that I am just a really annoying thorn in the side of the Democratic presidential candidates. <laughs> I am the fly in the room that won't leave them alone. Well, you're, you're the fly you know, on this, and I'm the fly in climate. And, I guess. <laughs> and um, they don't want to talk about this. They just want to beat Trump. And I feel like that's where it, the Democrats will fail. But I think most, so. I, I think, I think voters, Democratic voters, absolutely want to see Trump defeated. Mm -hmm. But I think I think for the most part, they, they go beyond that. And I think they want to see more answers to this, but perhaps there are so many issues on voters' minds. And again, climate and climate and healthcare being the two that are most prominent according to surveys mm -hmm. and according to just kind of my anecdotal yeah. experience with what I hear no, being stated at events. Yes. So it's hard to see, you know, candidates don't get pushed on this too often. Right. And they know, they know it's a landmine. Uh -huh. They don't want minefields, and so yeah. they, they 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 try to tiptoe through it as gently as possible, yes. if at all. So, well, how do you how do how do you change that? Does let me ask you know this. I just I keep I keep talking to people and sharing the stories of the Palestinians that I've been blessed to get to know because um, once people like you and me and just regular people understand the reality, that's where things will change. We mm. don't realize how much power we have. We have the power as people. We are the ants 
working in the you know ant colony who, who three don't three times who, our body yeah rate. who don't understand that if we all come together yeah. we could change things relatively quickly and, and the thing is that there's a, there are a lot of uh, a lot of Jewish Americans and even Jews within Israel that uh -huh. that that agree that we have uh, a horrible we've created a horrible situation exactly exactly so the um one more question Maria the um the uh, recent um, threat to annex the West Bank by Israel uh, how is that going to affect this whole conversation oh it's more of the same. I mean, it's just speeding up what's been happening. There's been annexation in East Jerusalem, which has been Palestinian. There's been annexation in the old city in Jerusalem and East Jerusalem since I, the first time I went in um, almost four years ago. I mean, it's... Because some of those... Set, Jewish settlers come and it literally kick out at gunpoint a family um, of their home and take it occupy over it. and occupy yeah. it and mm. there's it's you know that, it's just but, it's but not you know it's not good for palestinians it's not good for the people who are perpetrating it because mm. yeah we can't yeah, i don't know so it's where, not, where, do, where do you think the uh, i mean again right now the whole election is still up in the air but uh will, will netanyahu's proposal to annex uh see i mean i'm not sure how much of the west bank he's annexing but it looks like it's the the the, the 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 part that's primarily inhabited, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what what will happen to that if the election goes the other way? With Gantz, yes. you mean? I don't know. I, there may be some pretense of of um, trying to work things out and and have a two state solution. But it, it's you know the Palestinians that I have I maintain connect connections with. I it, they're just like it's just doesn't matter it's the same things are going to be the same now i know the last time we had you on this program uh i also had uh, rabbi david kaufman join mm -hmm. me and we had uh, hoped at some point to have you both on together mm -hmm. that hasn't happened yet no i'm open i Maybe gave him will. my card and i would love <laughs> I to that. Yes, I remember um, that. have coffee or lunch with him sometime yeah, yeah. So, I, so i think i think the again civil dialogue certainly uh, is is always appreciated and um yes. i you know i as somebody, I was, again, I was a religion major. I studied Hebrew. I developed great empathy for the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, even with that with that background, I, I, I just am appalled to see what's going on. I mean, yeah. it looks to me like we've well, created the world's largest concentration camp. That's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a. It's a that's it, what mean, Gaza is. Yeah, I mean, it's a. It's, it's and, and Gaza is more than that. I, I'm honored to know to know Gaza. I'm blessed to have been able to go, inshallah, which mm -hmm. means God willing, or mm -hmm. hopefully I can go back again. Um, but it's amazing, the resilience and the kindness and the hospitality Gazans still give to foreigners mm -hmm. in spite of their realities. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know where it's going to lead, but um, some, it, it, it's, it looks like it's getting to a breaking point, and so injustice cannot go on forever. No, when and, I was there and, two and years ago, and malnutrition and right, and disease. And when the I was that are there two years ago, um, with my daughter, my ten-year-old daughter, um, the UN had changed, uh, re updated a, a study they had done a couple years before that, and the study they had done said. By 2020, if things don't change, Gaza will be uninhabitable. And while I was there two years ago with my daughter, they revised that and said, Gaza is now effectively uninhabitable. Mm. So. But yet we saw people inhabiting the space 
They don't have a choice. Yeah. So, well, again, uh, and and Palestinians um, over in in Palestine are are powerless. All mm -hmm. Palestinians. So we need they need the rest of the world to speak up for them and do the mm -hmm. work for them because the way things are, they they have they can't change their situation. It's up to us mm -hmm. because things have gone gotten to the point where they have gotten to. So well, thank you for joining us. Maria. Thanks for having me. I Folks, appreciate uh, it. talking with Maria Filippone. Uh, you can check out her um, recent opinion piece in the Des Moines Register, what, a couple, three days ago? Mm -hmm. It was uh, posted 19th. online on last Tuesday, and then um, it was printed last Friday. And it might Maybe be we, can put a, we can put a link on, on sure. the comments on your Facebook. We can put a, we can put a so. link to it on my Facebook page yes. and also on the Fallon Forum website. So, yes. again, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Folks, uh, back in a couple minutes here, this is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Quick shout out to our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and a fantastic place for breakfast, lunch, or supper. Gateway also has an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant on East 5th and Walnut in the East Village of Des Moines, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. And thanks to Sergeant's Garage. Don't uh, ditch your old car just yet. Take it to Sergeant's. They've been fixing up my beaters for a long time. That's Sergeant's Garage. And thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. No appointment needed. Just stop in. That's Diversity Insurance. And finally, thanks to Community CPA, with offices in Des Moines, Iowa City, and now Minneapolis. Community CPA will take care of all of your tax and accounting needs. That's Community CPA. All right, welcome back to the uh, final segment of our program today. So I had not heard of the uh, Ricochet Foundation. But I, ricochet, in any rate, it's, it's, a, it's an online news service, apparently. And I first came across Ricochet when I read a, an editorial by a guy named John Gabriel, an editorial entitled, uh, Fighting Climate Change with Fear Isn't Working. And so he goes on to criticize uh, all of us who are saying that, well, we really ought to be panicking, we ought to be concerned, we ought to be worried. Uh, this is very frightening what's happening. Uh, he says that's just not working. And... Um, and then he talks about Greta Thunberg, who, who as we all know, is the uh, Swedish climate activist, 16 years old, who started the climate uh, school strikes. And uh, he quotes her as saying, I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear that I feel every day. And then uh, <laughs> the, uh, the author, uh, again, uh, John uh, uh, how do we, Gabriel, John Gabriel, there we go, points out that uh, they politely responded, the audience, the, the Davos, this is the Davos, Davos attendees dutifully applauded as the air crews refueled their fleet of private jets. Point well taken. There is plenty of hypocrisy. So um, Gabriel feels that, um, that voters, you know, 
don't take the fear thing seriously uh, because it, it requires changing their lifestyle and they don't want to do that. And I, I, that's also probably a good point. I think, I think more and more people are genuinely afraid. And again, part of the problem here is Gabriel does not feel we should be afraid. Uh, this is, pro this is um, pivotal in his, his reasoning. He says, quote, throughout our lives, eco-fear-mongering, I love that, eco-fear-mongering has been a constant. My first grade teacher handed out maps showing how a pollution-caused ice age would soon cover our Chicago suburb with a glacier. Mom eased the panic with a reminder we were moving to Phoenix that summer. After that, acid rain was going to kill us, then the ozone hole, then global warming, then global weirding, and now climate change. Uh, granted, the climate has always changed, but progressives think it started about a century ago. Okay, so stop right there. That's Gabriel's core perspective, that climate change is all, the climate has always changed, but, quote, progressives think it started about a century ago. Well, you know, that, that, that's, admit it, you are a denier. And all this other stuff you're trying to convince us with is arguments that just confuse. Okay, global warming, global weirding. I know some people call it that. I've never quite understood the, the, um, <laughs> the logic in trying to describe it as global weirding. It just sounds too darn silly. But he says global warming, climate change are different things. No, that's the same argument. And um, all these other problems, uh, or and again, I don't know which, which first grade teacher was uh, predicting an ice age to cover Chicago with a glacier, but, you know, just because you had a first grade teacher who told you something bizarre doesn't mean that scientists necessarily agreed with that. So, you know, stop denying the reality. And the reality is that, yeah, we should be concerned. We should be concerned. We should be very concerned. And fear and panic are not unreasonable responses to the level of, of trauma that is coming our way because of the changing climate. So, um, again, he uses though, this opportunity to bash um, some of the presidential candidates as well, um, saying, uh, quote, Mayor, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg called climate change, quote, a kind of sin. But defended his private air travel because this is a very big country. <laughs> uh, former Vice President Joe Biden promised to, quote, take millions of vehicles off the road via high-speed rail. And the next day, he held a fundraiser co-hosted by a fossil fuel magnet. Again, I don't disagree with some of the observations and points that the author is making. But to try to calm people into not responding because there's really nothing to be afraid of is extremely disingenuous. And again, we get to the core of his belief system with that one sentence, the climate has always changed, but progressives think it started about a century ago. You know, and this is so frustrating because yes, the climate has always changed, but it doesn't change over the course of a century. It takes an incredibly long period of time, so long that human populations wouldn't notice. Uh, other species wouldn't notice. But what's happened in the past century plus, and what's become even more obvious in the past 20, 30, 40 years, is not, it's not possible to explain that without the reality of humanity's impact on the climate through fossil fuel consumption. Again, I, you know, so he's denying that reality and then trying to get people just to say, okay, there's nothing we can do. 
But um, the one point I think he makes that, again, I, I totally agree with. He says, quote, the hypocrisy is galling, but it reveals that, and again, the hypocrisy here is that people who talk about climate change still have pretty high carbon footprints. He says, quote, the hypocrisy is galling, but it reveals that so many environmental doomsayers don't, re- don't actually believe we're in a crisis at all. Now, I'm not sure, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I just think it's really hard for people to find a way to live consistently with a principle that we have to drastically reduce or eliminate our carbon footprints. And part of it is, it's not just hard to do that. In some cases, it's impossible. Now, he goes on to say, on to say that um, to Greta Thunberg's credit, at least she avoids air travel. The same can't be said for her audience of those grasping for power, parroting her message. He says, uh, former President Barack Obama just bought a $15 million estate on Martha's Vineyard. I didn't, I did not know that. And I would want to verify that because I don't necessarily trust this author's uh, uh, words without backing it up. Perhaps Obama did buy a $15 million dollar estate on Martha's Vineyard. And if he did, yeah, that's unfortunate because uh, you don't have a $15 million, million dollar estate without having a big carbon footprint. The author goes on to point out uh, Leo, Leonardo Di, Di, DiCaprio, Prince Harry, and others in the top 0.1% flew to a Google, a Google, and I can never say the word, a Google, there we go, camp in Sicily, requiring 117 separate flights. Seems like a Google Hangout would, have, would be better for the planet. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and again, I, I don't know for sure whether that happened. I think this author, anything he says warrants verification and, and getting a second opinion. But I do know that his criticism is, is correct. I, you know, I, I, have, I have friends who totally understand the urgency of climate change and the importance of buying local, who nonetheless will shop at Walmart or patronize chain restaurants. I have a friend who showed up the other day who is um, thoroughly on board with the urgency of climate. Yeah, he bought a new pickup truck, you know, a big one. <laughs> uh, and and, I, and I, I know plenty of people who are doing very good work, and yet they fly a lot. You know, and this, um, so that criticism is valid with the understanding that sometimes it's impossible to really find an alternative. Uh, again, we are set up societally to, to the point where you, you pretty much have to burn carbon in order to, uh, to live. The challenge is to try to do it as little as possible and to try to continue to create the kinds of alternative systems that, uh, that we need going forward in the new climate era. So I totally get the importance of being consistent, of living one's principles, of trying to find ways of working our way through the world without the vast consumption of fossil fuels that has caused the problem. I get that. It's, it's again, there are some ways, some spheres where it's impossible to do that. But we could all be doing better, every one of us. You know, I, I, you know my, my partner and I try to do as much as we can uh, through rarely walking, sorry, rarely driving. We walk or bike nearly everywhere. Uh, within a, we, you know, if, if where we have to go is within five, even 10 miles, we can do that on a bike. Maybe the, uh, the occasional free bus line. <laughs> uh, the, the one has a great downtown alternative to uh, driving 
a three-mile stretch across downtown. It's called the D-Line. Check it out if you're in town, folks. But um, we also try to do what we can through growing our own food, through buying from Iowa farmers, uh, and through, uh, this may sound a bit out of, the, out, of, out of the norm, but through cooking with wood. You know, the, the, the compared, first of all, there really is no carbon footprint with a wood fire because you are, that, that carbon that has been sequestered in that wood will, will, will build, it'll be released either through decay or through burning. The, the problem with burning, of course, is you're releasing some smoke. But again, if you know how to light a good fire and you make it a nice clean fire, you don't have a lot of smoke. So, you know, there are ways in which we try to, uh, we, we, we can do we can do a lot, even with the current limitations of the system. You know, another example, uh, I, mean, I know some homes are not designed so that you can actually live in them comfortably in the summer without air conditioning. But we have found ways of, uh, of keeping our place comfortable, even when it's 90 out. You know, we can keep it 12, 13, 14 degrees cooler inside if we close the windows and have insulated curtains, uh, you know, keep them open at night, ideally. Close them up around 9 in the morning. And in the wintertime, throw another sweater on. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you, you can't, you, obviously you can't have the heat at 50. Uh, <laughs> but maybe 60, 65, 68, maybe that works. I mean, not for everybody. But for those of us who it works, we should try to do more. So um, I talk about, uh, again, one of the problems. The, the biggest problem is transportation. It is really hard to get around America without a car. Uh, and well, it's really hard to get around one's community without a car. You know, and I'd say um, it's easier in an urban setting. You know, we, we, we have it made here in Des Moines. No place we go is usually further than five or ten miles away. But if you're out in the country, yeah, I get that. That's, that's, a, that's a real problem. I don't know how you get around rural Iowa without a car. And I don't know how, you know, getting from one coast to the other without flying is pretty impractical. Now, I'm glad to see that there, there's a company, at least one company, working on air travel, that um, airplanes that are fueled by uh, solar power and other sustainable sources. But um, one thing we're trying to do is, uh, now that we own a Prius, is to try to drive to places we might normally fly to, like Atlanta, Florida, the, the East Coast, uh, places where we have family, and or we will go to... Uh, to give presentations, you know, it always I and I totally agree with the uh, the previous the, the author I was quoting previously, um, the criticism that uh, too many of these folks who are proclaiming the message that climate crisis is real, they fly to these expensive um, venues in private jets sometimes, and they stay in nice fancy hotels. And I get that criticism, and I think we have to be sensitive to that, and we have to be aware of the hypocrisy of that even as we try to navigate the reality that, that uh, there are sometimes no alternatives. So I write, um, in March of Walker Pilgrim, I write about the, um, the march beginning in California. And uh, I talk about how through, I'll just read you this, this section. This is the very night before we, we left. Or left by left, I mean we, the night before we set out from Los Angeles for 3,000 miles of walking. Tonight, through a light drizzle, I admire the tents assembled on the lawn beyond our dining area. I think of what a contrast our community, which we call One Earth Village, presents to typical life in America. 
Our social structure is so countercultural as to be almost inconceivable to most people. Sure, privacy and personal space are important, but feeling connected to others is an essential element of the human condition, one that has largely been destroyed in modern-day America. Just as our car-centered transportation system isolates us when we're mobile, the design of our homes and neighborhoods isolates us when we're stationary. When walls that separate us from each other are fashioned in wood and stone, we are physically and psychically cut off from the world. When one's walls are the thin fabric of a tent, when most of life's activities are conducted in shared space, an entirely different social energy emerges. In America today, it's quite possible, perhaps even the norm, not to know most or any of one's neighbors. The large porch that served in prior times to link one's private space to the common space of the street has been replaced by the large garage. Instead of sitting out front, we now sit on back decks surrounded by tall privacy fences. Isolation by design is even worse inside our homes. The living room's so-called entertainment center has replaced the public theater for plays, movies, and concerts. Meals, even groceries, can be purchased by phone and delivered to one's door. Nearly all shopping can be conducted online. With a small investment in a treadmill and weights delivered to one's door, a solid program of physical exercise can be managed without ever stepping outside. To call such a setup a home is disingenuous at best. More accurately, it is a pricey private prison cell. Clusters of these cells are called neighborhoods, and the interactions between one cell's inmate and the neighboring cell's inmate are typically minimal or non-existent. In fact, inmates at real prisons have more contact with each other than those imprisoned in most modern neighborhoods. To say that this arrangement is problematic is an understatement. When future generations of sociologists and psychologists analyze why there was so much violence in America in our time, I am certain they will conclude one of the primary reasons is that human beings cannot be healthy and normal when disconnected from each other and the natural world. From a political perspective, when we are isolated, we are more easily duped by propaganda. When we are confined in subdivisions, when our main source of information and ideas comes through a screen, not through direct dialogue with people facing similar life challenges, then the collective we is weak, easily exploited, eager to scapegoat those who are different, inclined to buy the lies of, say, a Donald Trump. Despite all the discomforts of living in a tent for eight months, one of the values of One Earth Village is that we won't be lonely or disconnected. As I look out over our encampment, I feel as if I'm about to go on a blind date with 50 people. I know we will have conflicts, but I also know that many, if not most of these people, will remain my friends for the rest of my life. 
That's an excerpt from uh, Marcher Walker Pilgrim, the book that I wrote, uh, my memoir from the Great March for Climate Action. Uh, it didn't always go quite as well as I, <laughs> as I described it going in that chapter of the book. As things got going, it got um, more challenging. But my point in reading that was that we, um, you know, as, as important as it is that, that we try to avoid hypocrisy in life, in whatever sphere, and when it comes to climate change, important that we try to live lives that, are, uh, that embrace as minimal a footprint as possible. It's really, really hard to do because we have a design of our homes, our communities, our lifestyles that um, is not conducive to living soft on the land. I mean, even think about the, the typical structure of the day. You know, when I was a kid in Ireland, the big meal of the day was at two o'clock because by that time, farmers had accomplished a good bit of work and they were hungry and they had more work to do. So you had the big meal at two in the day, two o'clock in the afternoon. It was almost always potatoes, bacon, and cabbage. But after the big meal, you still had time and energy to work and then you had a lighter meal in the evening. Well, why don't we do that anymore? That means biologically, physiologically, that makes sense. Well, it's because suddenly instead of working outdoors, we are working in cubicles and or we are in schools. And the those who manage us in those places, whether they be CEOs or principals, uh, they want us to be as efficient as possible. So instead of having an hour or maybe even an hour and a half for a dinner break where you really get to have a big meal with family, maybe neighbors, you have a short 20 to 30 minute break and you have a sandwich instead of a big, more healthy meal. Anyway, uh, that's my uh, that's my rant, my climate rant for the day. Again, uh, thank you for tuning into the Fallon Forum. Uh, comments, feedback, always welcome. Suggestions on topics, always welcome as well. And next week, we'll take a, a stronger look at the uh, presidential campaign, which again is only getting more and more uh, active here in the state of Iowa.